2: Today we're going to uh, discuss an issue that's in the news, but also an issue with deep historical roots, uh, the transitions of societies uh, that have been part of the Soviet Union uh, to democracy or the difficulties they've had in those transitions. And we're going to focus in particular today on Ukraine, uh, which in some ways is one of the uh, largest and most important of the former Soviet states. Uh, And a society that's gone through a lot of tumult in recent years uh, and most recently has just held the first round of a new presidential election And we will be talking today about how we understand changes and difficulties in Ukraine and what that means for us uh, As we think about democratic transitions around the world. Uh, We're very fortunate to have with us uh, three students who are uh, Conducting one of the most important research projects that I know of uh, on this topic Uh, They're spending a great deal of time Time with Ukrainian students and young voters trying to understand how they understand democracy and how they think about the future of their society and what we can expect from them as uh, as we hope soon they become the leaders of their society. Uh, these three students are, are all uh, stars here at UT, and we're fortunate to have them here. Uh, we have Maya Patel. Good morning, Maya.
1: Good morning. Thanks for having us.
2: Uh, our pleasure. Matt Maldonado. Good morning. morning, Matt. And we have Lauren Nyquist. Good morning, so we have our all-star team. And uh, before we get to our all-star team, we have our all-star poet. Zachary, what's the title of your poet, poem? Song
3: poem? of a Post-Cold War Child.
2: Well, let's, let's hear it, Post-Cold War Child.
3: I have heard how they stormed through the streets. I have heard how they rocked the sleep of thousands. I have heard how they killed my ancestors in millions, millions of deaths. I have heard how they dripped blood in the alleyways. I have heard how you couldn't hear the music you wanted to dance, to prance to under the cold skies. And I have heard you couldn't speak through the telephone of anything but the quality of the dreadfully whipping weather." And I have heard how you couldn't vote, couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. I have heard how the snow used to fall in the moldy corners, but I have never seen the flurries. I am too young to have seen those snowdrifts, those dispatches from forever. I am too young to have seen the lies, the shoes stomped against the desk of the world. And I am too young to have seen the rotting bodies, the fake votes tallied against the blood. And I am too young to have seen the reforming sun, the hope in the forests of weapon silos. And I am too young to have seen the wall fall, the newborn adults streaming across the rubble, streaming across in their nylon plastic cars. But I will not be too old to see the day the votes are counted in the light of democracy. I will not be too old to see the day when the music plays through every window. I will not be too old to see the free talk, the hopeful hum, the opening of the world. And I will not be too old to see the day when I can walk through the rubble of the nuclear silos blown to the sun, never to be used, bombs buried into the earth. And I promise you I will not be too old to see the day that I can sing with my Russian neighbors as they sing my American song, and I can sing their own.
2: Wow. Very historical, Zachary. Uh, what's your poem about?
3: My poem is really about just uh, being being born in a society that was shaped by the Cold War, but never actually experiencing it, and how that gives me a unique perspective on some of these issues.
2: Hmm, hmm. Uh, that's a really good point to start on. Uh, Maya, why has it been so hard for Ukraine and countries like Ukraine to, to transition from uh, the Cold War to a post-Cold War, post-Soviet world?
1: Yeah, I think in part it's because there still is so much influence on the region and, uh, you know, both sides, you know, the Western side and Russia trying to influence the country and how it goes and um, their elections and, you know, who's who leads the country. Um, So they have a unique perspective because when talking to some of these students, they don't, some of them truly don't feel like there are free and fair elections.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Matt, do you, do you find the students uh, who you talk to, are they, as they're thinking about these transitions, do, are they cynical or what, what are your views of them?
4: Um, yeah. So in our experience running these focus groups with Ukrainian students, I think cynicism is one of the big overarching themes that we've seen. And I don't think it's tied to any kind of regional variation. We've spoken to students in the East, in cities like Kharkiv or in the West, like cities like Lviv and Ivano-Frankivsk. And I think overall, there's this general kind of cynicism that uh, all the candidates that are running are corrupt and that their vote doesn't matter. And unfortunately, that seems to be the case with the young generation, which we in the West f- hope to be the, the, the generation that really brings Ukraine into the modern world. Right, so you don't see them as idealistic? I don't, really. Huh. Um, it, it it hasn't been all that positive, I'd say. Huh.
2: Well, Lauren, your team has, has interviewed so many uh, of these counterparts of yours there. Uh, beyond, beyond this cynicism and uh, concern about leadership, what else strikes you about them?
0: I think it's just a... Lack of direction in which to turn. Um, And I think that's perfectly articulated in what we are seeing out of Ukraine this Sunday. Um, I don't think any of us are particularly surprised because of what we've heard from these students Um, is, as my counterparts have said, they're so disenfranchised from because they, like Zachary was saying earlier, is they weren't there necessarily right. during the Soviet, um, right. during Soviet rule. However, they are the product um, of the trauma from that time period, mm-hmm. and so we don't necessarily hear them drawing. Lines of connection between that time period and today, but we see the impact of it. It's kind of like trauma and how trauma is magnified generationally down the line, Um, and so we're seeing kind of Zelensky as I wouldn't necessarily. I I don't think yeah, as uh, Matt said earlier, I don't think we see any ideal. Um, kind of outcome from them. But Mm -hmm. I think they see Zelensky as kind of a protest vote Mm -hmm. from the establishment. And
2: Zelensky is the media star, the comedian in Ukraine Mm -hmm. who uh, plays a president on television and and is now run for president and had the the most votes in the first round, right? That didn't surprise you?
0: I don't think it did because I think that we see a perfect dichotomy between an establishment, Poroshenko, who is... the most the establishment he is the current president um he is tied to all of the different kind of um, established areas of ukraine and then we see Zelensky, who actually came out of nowhere in right. the last six months
2: right right
0: so that's just that perfect dichotomy which allows us to kind of see that anti-establishment
2: gotcha Gotcha. And and Matt, do you, do you, is your sense that uh, voters for Zelensky see him as a as a positive alternative, or is he, is
4: he more of a none-of-the-above kind of candidate? I think he's more of a none-of-the-above kind of candidate. And in some of our uh, readings that we've done in connection to this election, we looked at the uh, 2010 election where Viktor Yanukovych mm-hmm. took the presidency, and people were drawing some connections between that situation and this situation. Interesting. Um, yeah, people viewed Yanukovych as a a protest vote against the establishment at that time was Viktor Yushenko, mm-hmm. and in this situation, I think uh, a, a vote for Zelensky is being taken quite literally by by voters as a vote against the establishment. Interesting.
2: I, is there a communist candidate? Is there still a communist party? I mean, one of the legacies of of the Cold War is, of course, how communism continues through other means in certain societies. Maya, is there a communist party?
0: I, I would jump in and just say that. So it's hard to distinguish. If there's a particularly de- a communist candidate, we were talking yesterday because someone in the survey results, we were piecing through all of our survey results, mm-hmm. um, and someone said they were a, what was it, a, um, a national, like, someone socialist, claimed to be a national
4: socialist, yeah. which is, really?
0: a, it's actually illegal. So um, someone did say that it could have been, we always have to discount some of those outliers right. um, when getting survey results back. But there were 47 candidates in this election from different political parties. Wow. Um, so there are certain politicians who may like, who do align more with the legacy of the soviet union more so than others so it does exist but it is technically illegal to be
1: politically yeah there's no like outright communist candidate i would say but there are like 47 candidates and it's hard to see what each one is trying to say.
2: Because one of the one of the issues, of course, in many of these societies, are the ways in which, uh, first of all, communist uh, former communist leaders hold on to power in other names, mm-hmm. but also in ways in which certain uh, communist assumptions about politics and and political organization uh, carry over. In fact, one of our students had a question uh, directly related to this. Uh, this is from Austin Buffkin, uh, and let's hear what Austin has to say.
3: How do you think that Ukrainian citizens' experience with communism helps change and refine their implementation of democracy? And do you think their experience with communism is beneficial or detrimental to the effectiveness of democracy in their country? What do you guys think?
1: So I think when we talk about democracy in a, in like a U.S. context, we have a very different definition than what maybe the Ukrainian students um, consider themselves. So for example, um, one of our... our survey questions was are you an active ukrainian which basically translates to like are are you like civically engaged are you like in, like an active citizen, I guess. Um, and a lot of them said no. But then we asked, like, are you involved in non-formal political activities? So many more people said yes. Hmm. And like in our definition, we would say, like, if you're civically engaged and involved in, or like, if you're involved in all these non-formal political activities, you're an active U.S. Sure. citizen. Sure. Um, so I think it's interesting to see how their definition of democracy is very different.
2: And what do you take from that? Why do they not consider their non-formal activities political?
1: Well, I think a lot of them are hesitant hesitant to call themselves inherent, like political people, but they do care about politics in, in like a way that like here, if you like mildly care about politics, you're like, yeah, I'm like kind of interested, I vote. Um, but they're, you know, being seen as a political person is almost like, taboo like a bad thing and they don't want to call themselves that
2: for a long time there was a there was a there was scholarship about anti-politics that that in fact uh, the the notion was if you were a serious person you shouldn't be involved in politics because politics was corrupted by the communist influence do you see that playing out Matt
4: I do because I think a lot of these students are fundamentally uh influenced by their parents who grew up under either Brezhnev or uh, individuals like Andropov or Chernenko. Right. So, uh, these were all Soviet leaders in the 70s and 80s. These were the, I say, uh, leaders that highlighted the, the stagnant period right. of, of Soviet history. Right. And as a result, I think, growing up in these households with these parents, um, that m- mentality has kind of followed them into young adulthood. Mm-hmm.
2: Lauren, do you agree?
0: I do. I do kind of want to... I guess have a more positive outlook on it because I please. do. <laughs> I do see a I guess move away from recognizing just a dichotomy between a kind of communist uh, like communist system and a democratic system as was established kind of in the Cold War period where we saw an either or. And I think right now we're kind of seeing, I mean, I guess one of the articulated responses when we asked what political system is ideal um, was it hasn't been defined yet. Mm. It wasn't, oh, I align necessarily with Russia or I align with the political system of the United Mm. States anymore. It was more I want to move past these established systems and move towards something that is going to be inherently unique to Ukraine. And I think that may draw out of their experiences with communism. I wouldn't say that it hinders or necessarily helps. I think that they've just been disillusioned to both sides. And so they are... I guess we have a very specific kind of group. We're seeing very critical thinkers coming out of universities. Those are the students that we're interviewing. Our That's surveys great. are a more wide kind of spread. I see. Um, but they are critical thinkers, and they're looking beyond the established kind of paths that were, I guess, articulated in the, in the Cold War.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
2: And, and how do they view the United States uh, and America's um, traditional diplomatic and, and democratizing mission?
4: Um, one, one of the – one of our uh, focus group interviews was with students in Odessa, and that uh, particular sit-down took place right after the end of the U.S. government shutdown. Okay. So there were definitely a lot of questions about uh, Trump and his actions in regards to Congress. So I think the Trump presidency has kind of just opened up a lot of doors for, uh, I guess – questioning about the U.S. political system. And the, uh, so far, the students have been very curious about that.
2: Interesting. Interesting. Other other reactions you've heard from them?
1: I think it's been surprising to hear how many students were... Um, like, one of our first focus groups was with Ivano-Frankie students, and they were talking... Like, a lot of them supported the border wall and thought it was a good idea um, and and were, like, had a positive view of Trump, which I thought was really interesting. Um And, yeah, it was kind of surprising to hear that. Um, And I think, you know, part of the reason why Zelensky won or has won the first round um, might be because they're they're very, like, done with the system and want change. And I think that was, like, similar to what we, like, saw for reasons why people voted for Trump. Interesting. Interesting. What
2: about... um their view of international organizations? Do they, do they see themselves connected to a world of international organizations?
0: I think that was probably one of our, our, most, our largest questions that we kind of got responses on was particularly about the EU. Um, I think we either saw students who really wanted to be a part of the EU or saw the EU as a future goal um they don't see themselves as ready to join the EU or necessarily worthy i think they're very critical of where their country is economically politically and socially uh they don't they there was a statement that kind of caught me off guard because it said ukrainians themselves aren't ready uh which is definitely when we associate political organizations we don't necessarily look at us like a minute right. scale to that degree but it was definitely an interesting question because they would look towards the EU as a pinnacle of economic success or a stepping point to, right now, we talked a lot about Brexit, right. as the EU could possibly foster a economic, a economic system of growth or anti-corruption initiatives or help with systems like that. And then they could later leave once they've established themselves mm-hmm. as a strong country. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was definitely a... Really- and that was
2: as true for students in the West as in the East? Because traditionally the East has felt closer to Russia, right?
0: We uh, Yeah. I don't
1: think we saw anyone who particularly said we need to align ourselves with Russia. I think we did meet... But we, there were there were yeah. a lot of students who were like, I don't think the EU is a good idea. Um, we heard a lot of, like, we need to become strong on our own first before joining the EU. And then also, one girl was like, we're not in the right mindset. We, like, we aren't... It almost seemed like they weren't of, like, a high enough moral standard to join the EU, which I thought was an interesting comment. Um but I, uh, yeah, there was a pretty wide range of like we should join or we shouldn't. Um.
2: This is this is such valuable research for thinking uh, not just about the historical evolution of Ukraine and other societies going through post communist transitions, but also for thinking about U.S. policy. Right? Uh, if if our goal uh, is and should be to build connections with the next generation of leaders in important countries uh, like Ukraine, Hungary, Poland, uh, Bulgaria, etc. Um we have to understand where they're coming from, right? And with that knowledge that you all have put together and that you're bringing out in your research, what do you think are the insights for thinking about American policy? what What, what would you suggest that the United States do to connect with these these students who are so important for their future and our future?-
0: I think uh, continuing these micro level, kind of education initiative. I mean,
2: funding more research like your own. Yeah.
0: Um, to establish, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, um, because we're talking at a very personal level and I don't think you can, especially if Ukraine chooses to go a different route and not necessarily democratic, um, I think that it's going to be important to have these connections so that we respect that. I think I one of the biggest faults in kind of undermining our... Um, position abroad is that we um, often don't respect a move away from a democratic system. Mm. Um, And if we can understand that some of our students really just want a leader who will make decisions to lead the country in the right direction and not necessarily listen to the citizens themselves. They want someone who will make strong economic moves and make anti-corruption moves um, outside of necessarily being held accountable.
2: And you don't think we should oppose that?
0: I think that we should not. I think at a greater level for foreign like policy, I think that we often see ourselves as having to be have the same political system as economic or as countries abroad because I think that that creates a basis, but I think that what this project has shown me is That at this micro level, we can understand where their perspective is, and we have to be able to respect that. Because if they're democratically electing in this election, and we haven't seen any reports of abuse by the political system necessarily yet, um, but we do have to respect that. And I think that this allows us to create uh, this respect, um, which is kind of absent at this broader geopolitical level, because you don't have that connection. Right.
2: Fair enough. Other thoughts on what we should do.
4: Yeah, if I could just chime in. I think one, one of the, I guess, policies that is, has that is made uh, our work on this project so uh, so valuable has been programs like, like FLASS and mm-hmm. Fulbright.
2: Foreign Language and Area Studies and Fulbright uh, Student and Faculty Exchanges, right?
4: Yes. Uh, so, I, I about you. You
2: received a Fulbright, actually.
4: I, yes, I received a, a Fulbright uh, GPA grant. Um, a FLASS. And a FLASS this year. I think, yeah. Programs like that are important because uh, it gives students, undergraduates, opportunities to make these exchanges on their own right. first, and then right. later on, uh, potentially get into some deeper research. And uh, our fac- the faculty members who have been helping us have been outstanding, and they also, they themselves have also received similar types of grants. So I think, uh, in order to continue making these uh, types of connections with students down the line we need to continue funding these kind of programs good shout out for faculty well done
2: (laughs) zachary did you have a question yeah
3: i was wondering how do these students uh view russia do they view it as a threat or as something that can help them grow as a society?
0: I think so. We have two different things. So we do the focus group, which is where we talk to students. Um, and if someone else wants to chime in on that, I'll chime in on the survey, which is a different kind of part of our research. Um, and what we got from the survey is that Russia largely hinders um, the the free and fair election and progress towards a democracy, like a democratic institution. Um, And we kind of saw that dichotomy with that question. Particularly, we saw that institutions like the EU, NATO and the United States are associated with helping, whereas Russia is associated with the war, Crimea and hindering any free and fair election and democratic institution.
1: Yeah. And with the focus groups, I think we saw similar themes. Um, Students weren't as like um, ready to, like, outwardly call out Russia um, over, over the focus groups. But I think you, like, got that kind of vibe, I guess, from them. Um, they weren't re- really willing to, like, say it outright, but sure. you could kind of see that they sure. were trying to say that.
2: Sure, sure. Well, and this connects uh, to another student question we have on, on our side, uh, which is really about how uh, students like all of you can do more. Now we can all get involved. Let's hear uh, the question from Miranda Rodriguez.
0: How can college students in the United States become more educated about democracy in former Soviet countries which we still see as so different from us?
2: And, and I, think that, I think Miranda's question presumes that most students are not going to have the, the time to do the kind of uh, in-country research you're doing and in many cases won't be able to learn the languages. Right. So how can they, as voters in the United States who are going to be influencing U.S. policy here, how can they act our students more effectively to help students in these societies like Ukraine?
1: I think that like when university professors have these classes about various countries, if there could be some sort of like global classroom, even if it's just like one or two class um, like Skype sessions with students Hmm. um, or like young people.
2: Actually bringing them into the class. Yeah. So like,
1: you know, you don't need to you know dedicate a whole semester to like calling three times a week to the country but i mean i think even just like a few like a few calls um even just like from the first time we ever talked to ukrainian students over skype i learned so much from sure. just like an hour um so i think that's a, one way that students that's a
2: great involved. suggestion my other thoughts
0: i think social media has allowed us so many uh it, just another way for us to connect with mm-hmm. students abroad so um Getting involved uh, on something like VK um, allows us to... What is VK? It's a Russian social media, yeah, um, platform.
2: It's the first uh, time on our podcast anyone has advocated VK, but okay. Well,
0: <laughs> or Telegram, or tel- Okay, yeah, if we want to <laughs> Telegram. But VK, because uh, Matt and I were in uh, Russia last summer, and so VK is kind of how we connect with them sure. and see like the cultural initiatives. I think going behind just the blanket political yes. system and seeing yes. that there are people, but I think it needs to happen at. In the United States, at kind of a broader education level, our education initiatives, especially for high school and middle school, when we teach history, um, portray these these countries in a very negative light, And I think that's um, if we need we need to vote in our state board or like our state board elections, we need to vote in our local um, education elections to kind of change that, because I think coming into by the time we get into college, we've got these perceptions about these countries that are so deep seated within us um, that it becomes automatic to associate these countries with a particular level of development with a negative connotation of governance. Um, And that's the product of our education system absolutely
2: absolutely that's a that's another great suggestion lynn matt what do you think uh
4: i think students just need to stay vigilant with their current events uh and maybe even go back a couple years i think it's important to realize that yeah not all former soviet states have been directly in the russian sphere since 1991 i think it's important to remember that uh russia fought a war with georgia in 2008 or that, uh, I mean, people still forget that Russia uh, annexed Crimea in 2014. So I think uh, just staying uh, with their ears close to the ground is going to be helpful in regards to current events because the, these issues are ongoing and they will continue to be. Right. So... Uh, an informed citizen is a good citizen, right? I mean. And
2: and we all, we have to also ask our news coverage to provide information. It's interesting how little of the the Ukrainian election was covered. My yeah,
1: I was just about to say, like to build off of what Matt was saying, like and not just making sure that we're reading our Western sources, but making sure that we're reading the sources of news that are local um, to whatever region you're studying, because there's there's a certain way that you know these different news stories are covered in the U S or, um, in like more Western Europe. And I think it's important to also be reading local news sources and, um, looking at the influencers, uh, that are on the ground and, you know, looking at all perspectives.
2: Right. Absolutely. Really getting a a deeper sense of what's happening there. Zachary, do you think young people today are interested in these issues and will follow them?
3: Um, I, I do think so, but I think, um, I think, as Lauren was saying, it's, it's very ideologically focused, like that these countries have so much corruption and ha- are still in the Russian sphere when really we, we don't understand them as, as, as independent, sort of very vibrant countries. And I think that uh, with better education and, and a more broad, uh, unbiased look at the world, uh, th- that can only help as we move forward. Right, right.
2: Well, I am uh, super optimistic uh, after our discussion here, because I think uh, what we see with uh, Maya, Matt, and Lauren, and Zachary, and what we're hearing about students in Ukraine, is that there's a lot of confusion and even a lot of cynicism. But there's also, it seems, a commitment to try to understand. And, and cynicism can turn to idealism when it's uh, focused on getting beyond propaganda or beyond ignorance to actually understand uh, the ways in which societies change. And and as I think Lauren said so well, uh, when it's also about trying to show the respect of trying to understand the people behind the words. And uh, I'm so proud that, that all of you are doing that. And uh, I I think there's more and more of an interest in that. Uh, Maybe distrusting uh, party lines and headlines is a good thing for our society. And uh, maybe that's a reason why uh, more podcasts are helpful. (laughs) Thank you for joining us today uh, for this fascinating episode of This Is Democracy.
4: This podcast is produced by the Liberal Arts Development Studio and the
0: College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. The music in this episode was written and recorded by Harrison Lemke, and you can find his music at harrisonlemke.com.
3: Subscribe and stay tuned for a new episode every Thursday featuring new
4: perspectives on democracy.